Welcome to LifeBridge Online. I'm Pastor Chris, and I'm glad you're here with us. I assume you're here. I can't see you, but hopefully you can see me. And, hey, I want to ask you a question. What do you think of that countdown music? I mean, what are you doing during the countdown music? Go ahead and put in the comments what you do during the countdown music. Now, through the rumor mill, I've heard the Bowmans are dancing uh, and I don't know if it's Bill, but probably, I don't know, anyway. And then Kirk Polo, I guess, is doing his exercise routine during that dynamic music. So, hey, take a moment while we're getting ready and getting engaged to like and share this. Like and share this. Share it with your friends. Let's get the good news out. Uh, and just let's share good things that God is teaching us. Now, one more thing. Before we begin, I do want to say this. Have you taken the LifeBridge survey yet? Yes, we are planning already for regathering, and we're going to do that in phases, and we're going to depend on Mayor Lucas to uh, release uh, up to 25% occupancy. But here's the thing. We need to prepare now with prayer. So I'm asking you, pray for Pastor Bruce and myself. Pray for our leadership council. But more than anything, uh, let me encourage you to pray for one another. Now, take the survey in the comments there. There's a link. You can directly take the survey if you haven't. But more than anything, I want you to prepare with prayer. Prepare with prayer. Why? Because when we talk about spiritual health, I'm not talking physical, I'm not talking virus, I'm talking spiritual health, the most important PPE is not the personal protection equipment as much as the powerful prayer engagement. I'm just talking about the spiritual health as we prepare to regather powerful prayer engagement. So I want to challenge you to stop the spread of disunity and, 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 and save the unity, stay united rather in Christ. And that's, that's what I'm doing. And here's what I'm doing. I am praying Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 over our congregation. And so I would challenge you to do the same thing. As we do all the logistics, as we do the, the equipment and these kind of things, all the physical, and they're important. They're very important. But prepare with prayer. And so right now, I would just like to pray over us, over our congregation, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. So if you'd bow your heads and, and, and just join me. Father, we come to you. And we acknowledge that you are our loving Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, and we acknowledge that we are your prisoners. We are your subjects. We are not to live as if we get to do whatever we want. We do what pleases you. And I pray that as we plan to regather, we will foremost do what pleases you and do what will be loving for others. And Lord, I pray that in this process we'll walk worthy of the calling with which we are called, that we will be Christ-like in this process, and that, Lord, we'll show humility to one another, that we will show gentleness, 
and we will be long-suffering with one another as there's different opinions and as there's different concerns and, and some are ready to get out, some are more cautious. Lord, we would be patient with one another, bearing with one another in love, in love, Lord. And we pray that we would make every effort to maintain the unity that we have in one spirit from one Lord because you are our one Father. And so, Lord, I pray that the bond of peace in our congregation will remain strong, that we will stop the spread of disunity, and that we will stay united in Christ by your grace and for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks. And let's continue to pray that in the, in the weeks ahead. Well, we're in a study called The Gospel According to Isaiah. And for the past few weeks, we have been studying Isaiah 53 through 55. And so if you downloaded the notes, the link's there in the comments, you can uh, see the overview of those chapters. But for the last few weeks, and today, we're in chapter 55. And so notice that in chapter 55, the main idea is to share the news. So maybe right now, right there in your comments, engage, and just type in there, share the news. That's the big idea. It is the great invitation to soul-satisfying salvation. And the overarching idea is this is news too good to keep to ourselves. We need to share it with others. Now, for the last few weeks, let's review just a little bit. In verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 55, the invitation is to savor the feast. The Lord makes a global invitation to everyone. Come and be satisfied. You that are hungry, you that are thirsty... Come and feast on me and find soul-satisfying salvation. And then last week, we looked at the last part of verse 3, and we saw that the invitation is sure to satisfy. And the reason for that is because there is a future son of David who will secure the Davidic covenant by his perfect obedience. And on the basis of his perfect obedience... He will become the mediator of the new covenant, which is the abundant blessings of salvation that are sure to satisfy our deepest longings. And then today, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. So we're moving from a half a verse last week. We're making progress. We're going to look at two verses this week, verses 4 and 5. And we're going to see that the Lord sends His Son this perfect son of David, this mediator of the new covenant, this, this obedient fulfiller of the Davidic covenant, he's going to send him on a mission to the nations. And he is going to extend an invitation of salvation to the unreached nations of the world. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 55, and let's read verses 3 through 5. We'll read verses 3 through 5. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, but whatever Bible you have, let's read this together. Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. 
Listen that you may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. That's the new covenant. According to or on the basis of the faithful mercies that David did, that David perfectly fulfilled, this future son of David. Then look at verses 4 and 5. Behold, I have made him, this perfect son of David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. Why? Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Who? The perfect son of David. And so this morning we're going to look at this. And I just want to start out by two observations. These aren't in your notes. They're, they're in your Bible. So look at verses 4 and 5 in your Bible. And the first thing I want you to see is 4 and 5 are directly connected to verse 3. It is this future, perfectly obedient, obedient son of David that is being talked about in verses 4 and 5. And what's interesting is in verse 4, the Lord is speaking about this son of David to all he invites to the feast. But in verse 5, he's speaking directly to this son of David. And we'll see the significance of that in this lesson. The second thing I want you to observe right there in your Bibles is that both of these verses begin with that significant word, behold. And behold tells us in the book of Isaiah, it indicates that God is about to do something miraculous and powerful. Sometimes it is to save, sometimes it is to judge. But here it is a message of miraculous salvation. God is about to do something. And we're going to find out what that is. Now, you might be thinking, you know, all of this seems way back there. And what does that have to do with me right now? And I understand that. I get that. I think that a lot sometimes when I read the Bible. You know, how does that relate to me? But let me just say three things right off the bat. First of all, if you're not Jewish, and most probably that are watching this are not, if you're not Jewish, then you are a part of these nations that he is calling and inviting to salvation. That's directly relevant to you. Secondly, if you've already responded to the invitation to salvation, then realize this, you are one of the servants of the son of David. And we are to join with him on his mission. That's relevant to you. And then thirdly, I just want you to know that God has chosen to glorify himself in his son. Look again at the end of verse 5. Here's the thing. If we've been truly called of God, if we've been truly saved by God, we should get excited about the son who is glorified by the father. In other words, we should be eager to learn more about this glorious son and his gracious mission to the nations. And so I hope that helps you. So here's the question that 
verses 4 and 5 are going to answer for us. Here's the question. Why will the exalted son of David succeed in saving the nations? Why is, is his invitation going to be successful? Why is his mission to the nations going to succeed? And we're going to see two reasons. The first reason is in verse 4. Second reason in verse 5. Real simple. Let's look at it. Here's the first reason in verse 4. Behold, this exalted son of David in verse 3, behold, he is selected to be the sovereign Savior for all peoples. Look there in verse 4. Peoples is repeated two times. It brackets this verse. He is selected by the Lord to be the sovereign Savior for all peoples. And so, look again at the beginning of the verse. Behold, I have made him, the Lord has made him, the exalted son of David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. And so, what specifically is he selecting him to be? Well, we see in that verse two things. First of all, the Lord has selected the exalted son of David to be his faithful witness to all peoples. His faithful witness to all peoples. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples. Now, when you hear the word witness, if you've been in church for a while or you've been saved for a while, when you hear witness, if you're like me, you immediately think of evangelism and missions. You think of sharing what God has done in your life and what you have heard about the gospel and sharing that in evangelism or sharing that in missions. And we think of Acts 1.8. We think of, you shall be my witnesses. And that's certainly a part of this because in the second servant, servant song in Isaiah 49, verse 6, here's what the Lord says to the suffering servant. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also make you, same verb here, I will make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So, yeah, evangelism, missions, that's a part of it. But witness here means more than that. It means that, but it means much more. When covenants were made, and we're talking in a passage that talks about the New Covenant, Davidic Covenant, when covenants were made between two parties, there would also be witnesses who would listen to the covenant, listen to the vows being made, and they would swear to help ensure that the covenant is kept. In other words, think about a wedding. In a wedding, there's a pastor, there's a bride and groom, but there are witnesses who listen and hear the vows being made. And part of their job is to promise to in, uh, make sure and hold accountable the couple to make, to keep those vows. Well, that's kind of the idea here is that the Lord is making the son of David the witness that says, look, I will hold the world accountable to this covenant. But there's something more because sometimes in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant 
was called the Ark of Witness. In other words, sometimes the witness is replaced with the covenant. And we've already seen that in our study of the suffering servant. We've seen that two times in Isaiah 42 and 49, the suffering servant is said to be given as the covenant to the people. So that's pretty significant. You say, why is that, Chris? It's because of this. It's like this exalted son of David is saying, look, I am not only a witness to the fulfillment of the covenant, but guess what? I am the covenant. I fulfill it in myself. But there's even more here. Because we've seen in verse 3 of this chapter, and we saw in chapter 53, that this exalted son of David is also the mediator of the new covenant and the fulfiller of the Davidic covenant. So you say, what's that mean? Well, it simply means this. This exalted son of David is the witness to the covenants. He is the covenant himself and he is the mediator of the covenant. You say, well, what does that mean? Go back to a wedding. This is what God is saying about this exalted son of David. He is basically saying, I have selected this son of David to be the pastor who marries the couple, to be the couple who makes the vows and must keep them, and I've made him the witnesses who hear the vows being made and hold them accountable to keep them. Isn't that amazing? That's gospel grace. He's saying that, Look, this exalted son of David has done everything regarding God's covenants in order to see them fulfilled. And we know from the New Testament that this exalted son of David is none other than Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, offered himself as the atoning Lamb of God, rose again from the dead, and then was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And here's what Paul says about Jesus in relation to God's promises. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For every one of God's promises is yes in him the Lord Jesus. Therefore, through him we also say, Amen to the glory of God. So why don't you take a moment right there and respond. Amen in the comments. Let's get excited. Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, is this exalted David who is the faithful witness and fulfiller of God's covenants. But how is he going to do this? That's the second thing that the Lord selects him to be. He's selected to be the victorious king for all peoples. So he's the faithful witness to all peoples, but he's also the victorious king for all peoples. Behold, I have made him not only a faithful witness, but a leader and a commander for the peoples. So just want to stop and make four observations about this idea of being a leader and commander. And the first thing I want you to notice in your Bibles is that leader here is kind of a unique word, and it emphasizes a ruler or a leader who God himself has chosen 
and appointed. In other words, this isn't someone that says, hey, I'm the boss around here and everybody's got to do what I say. No, this is the kind of ruler that God appoints and he rules over all, but he rules under God. In other words, he's a servant king. He's a submitted king. He is a perfectly obedient son of David. And also, what's interesting is in the whole book of Isaiah, this is the only time that Isaiah uses this unique word for ruler. And he uses it here. You say, what's the big deal about that? Well, I think it's significant. I think what he's saying is, this is the one and only son of David. This is the unique son of David who fulfills all the messianic prophecies about the king in the first half of Isaiah. And he fulfills all the prophecies about the suffering servant in the second half of Isaiah. He's a unique, future, exalted son of David. The second thing I want you to see is that the word for commander here, he's not only God's appointed Savior, sovereign Savior, but he's also a commander for the peoples. And that idea of commander is one who gives commands. It's an action word for commanding and instructing others, especially covenant commands. All these words have to do with God's covenants. And so the idea here is this. The Lord's saying, hey, listen to my exalted son of David. Why? Because he's the one who will teach you the covenant requirements. He is the one who will tell you how to be blessed in the new covenant. He is the one who will warn you of the consequences of rejecting him and missing out on the covenant blessings and only experiencing the covenant curses. And the third thing I want you to see is the connection between the faithful witness and the victorious king. And I have that in your notes, and I have it up here on the screen, and I want you to see the connection is this. The future son of David will be the faithful witness to all peoples. And this is what he's going to witness about. This is what he's going to testify to them, that he is the victorious ruler over all peoples for their soul-satisfying salvation. But here's the question. How did this victorious king conquer all peoples? How did he become the ultimate ruler over all peoples and all things? And the answer is found in Isaiah 53 and the other servant songs. The answer is he became the suffering servant. See, he didn't come and force his way. He came and humbled himself. And he took on the form of a man. And he became obedient to God to the point of even going to a humiliating death predicted in Isaiah 53. We know now it was an excruciating cross death on a Roman cross. But who was buried and then resurrected as Isaiah predicted. And having been resurrected, he has been high and lifted up and exalted to the very right hand of God. He has conquered. 
He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why? Because he became the suffering lamb of God for sinners and rebels and haters of God and enemies of God. People like you and me. Wow, that's good news. Is it any wonder that in Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, we find these words? So I want you to just take a moment, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, because I want you to see that exactly what Isaiah is predicting in verse 4, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, was perfectly fulfilled in not only the incarnate baby Jesus, but in the obedient Son and the crucified Lamb and the risen King. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and let's look at verses 5 through 7. And notice what he says in verse 5. This is the Apostle John. And he's saying, I'm writing to you from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the first one to resurrect from the dead. And because he resurrected, look, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and released us from our sins by his blood, Isaiah 53. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. But look at verse 7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, Israel, and all the tribes of the earth, the Gentiles, and they will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. Maybe you want to type in amen again. There's a lot of amens in this lesson because God's doing a miraculous work through the exalted son of David. You see, the idea of verse 4 is this. Our God reigns and he reigns to save. And he saves through the exalted son of David who lived a sinless life died as our substitute, our sin-bearing substitute, but was resurrected as the king who rules over all. And the beautiful thing is, he uses that authority. He uses his kingship to save, to save. He is the sovereign savior for all the peoples of the world. Now, What's interesting in Revelation 1 is this Jesus, this lion of the tribe of Judah, this lamb of God is the one who has the authority to open the seven seals of the title deed to all of creation. And he does that so that he can call, not only restore Israel to their kingdom, but also to call a people of every tribe, nation, language, and group to himself. And guess what? That's exactly what he does in verse 5. And so the second reason his mission or invitation to the nations will succeed is because 
In verse 5 we see, Behold, He is sent to savingly summon all the unreached nations for salvation. He is sent savingly to savingly summon all the unreached nations. Notice what verse 5 says. It says this, Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. So I want you to see two things here. First of all, I want you to see that God's heart is to save the nations. And that's just not a New Testament thing. That's not just a great commission thing in the New Testament. That's an Old Testament thing. Because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New. And notice it begins with behold again. This is a God thing. And it's sure to succeed because God's at work through the exalted son of Davis. And now what he's doing in verse 5 is he's not talking to those he's invited. Now he's talking directly to his exalted son. And we see that in verse 5. So here I want you to see two things. Basically, this verse sums up this way. The Lord sends, the king calls, and the nations run. They run to him for salvation. So the first thing I want us to see is the king's summon is a call to all nations. The king's summon is a call to all nations for salvation and service. Notice how how verse 5 begins. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. Now here's the thing. He's king. One day he's going to call the nations to judgment. But here, now, it's a call to salvation. And I want you to see three characteristics of this call. Three characteristics. First thing I want you to see is that this is a victorious call. This is a victorious call. Why? Because he has been exalted as king over all the earth. He has the authority to save anyone. And he can do it this morning. And he's calling to you through this message. He's calling to you and he says, I am the victorious king. I am the sovereign savior. I can save you. I can save you. Maybe you're thinking, can Jesus really deliver on his promises? Can he really save the worst of sinners? Chris, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. And you know what? You're right. But he knows, and he is sovereign enough to clean up the biggest messes, to heal the most broken hearts, and to forgive the greatest sins. And that's what he desires to do for you and for me. Can he actually soften the hardest of hearts? Yes, 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 why? Because he is the sovereign Savior and his call of salvation is the cry of a king who has all authority in heaven, on earth, under the earth to save anyone who will respond. Secondly, this is a gracious call. This is a gracious call. Look at who he is calling in this verse. Look again at verse 5. He's calling a nation that... He does not know. Now, if this is the sovereign God, the God-man who is God, who is 
man, he knows all the nations. He knows who they are. The idea of a nation he does not know means a nation that is really his enemies. A nation that does not know him as their king. A nation that does not know him as their savior. Here's the wonderful grace in this. God is calling, or the exalted son of David is calling his enemies to receive his gracious salvation. Is that amazing? And we know in the New Testament it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, God has called to us. And he's calling to you this morning. It's a gracious call. And then finally, I want you to see that this is an efficacious call. You say, man, Chris, that's a big word. Yeah, it is. And it's a good word. And it's an important word. It means effective. This is a call that will result in what the exalted son of David wants. And what does he want? He wants the nations to be saved. He calls them to himself and they run to him. That is an effective and efficacious call to salvation. You know, in this second half of the book of Isaiah, God calls a lot of people to do a lot of things. And in this second half of the book of Isaiah, when God calls, he gets the results that he is looking for. In other words, what he calls into being comes into being. And when he calls the nations, there will be people out of every tribe, out of every nation, out of every language, out of every people group, the unreached will be reached by this exalted son of David. Jesus himself put the efficacious call this way in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Now, the question becomes, how do we know that the nations will respond in this way? The answer is in the second part of the verse. Look at the nation's response. Their nation's response is this, is to run to him in repentance and faith. Look again at verse 5. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you. This is a response of repentance. They were enemies shaking their fist at God, and the exalted son calls them, and they put down their fist, and they run to him. They were running in the opposite direction from God, doing their own thing, running their own lives, being a king unto themselves. And the exalted son calls, and they repent, they turn from ruling their own lives, and they run to him to be their king. Wow. I want you to see three characteristics of their run to salvation. The first thing I want you to see is that their run is voluntary. Now, I made sure. I, I looked this up in the Hebrew there. The, the verb for run has a subject, and that subject is the nations. Even though God's call of salvation is efficacious and effective, 
We must respond, and our response is voluntary, it is personal, and it is your own. And maybe you're saying, well, Chris, you're kind of talking about God's sovereignty, human responsibility. How do we reconcile those two things? And I grant you, it's a mystery. But I like what Charles Spurgeon said when asked about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He was asked, how do you reconcile these two things? And his wit and wisdom, Spurgeon responds, I don't try to reconcile old friends. They go together. They remain together. And we must respond to the call. Second thing, the response is not only voluntary, but it's necessary. You must respond to be saved. You say, well, I guess I thought God's so sovereign. He, he, he's the one who gets all the glory for saving me. Indeed, he does. But you must respond. And the response is repentance and faith. Not in what you can do, but what God has done through his exalted son and the sovereign savior. You see, this is a call that requires an answer. When the phone rings, you need to pick it up. God is calling. Don't put him on hold. Don't get back to him later. The call is today, and the call requires an answer on your part. This is an invitation. The whole kind of word picture of this chapter is an invitation, and invitations come with an RSVP. Are you going to come to the feast or not? You need to let God know. And this is a gospel call. This is good news. And when you get good news, you respond to it. And either you embrace it or you reject it. And so that's the idea. So I really want to challenge you this morning. Will you come to the king who is calling you to himself to find soul-satisfying salvation in the exalted Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that the unreached nations that are being talked about, they must hear the call and they must respond to it. There's no universalism in this verse. The idea is not that everyone will be saved. It's that the Lord is calling to the nations and the nations must hear the gospel and they must respond to it. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's what I want you to see. The third characteristic is this. Their response is extraordinary. Now just stop and look at verse 5 again. The exalted son of David calls to all the nations to respond, and the nations turn around and kind of limp toward him. The nations turn around and just kind of limp their way into his presence. No, what do they do? What do they do according to verse 5? They run. They are eager. They are joyful. They are obedient. This is a true faith response to the gospel. The faith response of a heart that has been captured by the gospel call to salvation responds with joy, with eagerness, and runs to the only Savior who can satisfy your deepest needs. 
You see, this is a gospel invitation that goes to the unworthy, to the hopeless and to the helpless, to those that are thirsty and hungry, to those who have tried the world's ways and they aren't satisfied. They have tried the world's ways and they've been betrayed. They've been hurt. They've been broken. And maybe you're broke. The invitation, the call is for you. Now, why? Why does the king call and why do the nations run to him? Look at the last part of this verse. Don't miss this. Look at the last part. The answer is, because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. And that word for glorified is this word, it's a unique word for glory. It means to be beautiful. God the Father has made His Son beautiful. He is not only the inviter, He is inviting. Think about that. The exalted Son of David is both inviting the nations, but He's also inviting to the nations because He's clothed in the glory of God. They see in Him what they so desperately need in their own hearts. The inviter is glorious, And his invitation is gracious. Who wouldn't run to him for salvation? I urge you. I plead with you. Run to him. Run to him this morning. Do not delay. He is beautiful. He is glorious. And he is gracious. Feast on him. And you are guaranteed soul satisfaction. And so I end with this. Here's an invitation in these two verses. An invitation too successful to neglect. The sovereign king is calling you. So run to him for salvation this morning. And so I leave you with two applications and they're this. Be saved by the king. Run to him. Turn away from your own way of doing life, your own being the the king of your life, run to him and submit fully to him and say, Lord, all I bring is my brokenness and what I need from you is your righteousness. I receive it by faith in the son of David, the risen king, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's application for us. And let me say this, if you make that decision, if, if you want to run to him and you need help with that, fill out the connection card in the comments. Let us know where you're at, what you're struggling with, and we will get back with you and help you with that. But I also want to say a word to you who have already repented, have already received the king as your sovereign savior. Understand this, the call of salvation is also a call to service. They're not separated. They're united. He is not only our Savior, but He is our Sovereign. And if He must be Sovereign to save us, and so if He saves us, we must serve Him. And so let me challenge you to evaluate during this quarantine. How am I living like a submitted, saved servant of the King? You say, Chris, I'm struggling. 
I've failed. I'm, 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 I'm backslidden. I'm, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. Okay, repent and run to him. And he will restore you, forgive you. You're already saved, but he wants you to be an obedient servant to him. So let me pray for you and we'll wrap this up. Father, we come and we thank you that you have spoken to us about the exalted son of David. And you have told us that he is the one and only savior for all peoples. You have pointed to him as the one and only. There's no other name in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth by which we can be saved. Jesus is Lord and King. Father, I pray that you would save those who need to run to you this morning. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that know you, that we would take stock and be submitted surrendered and obedient servants, that we would serve you like you have served the Father, even when it means suffering, even when it means being heartbroken, even when disappointments come, we will serve you, we will follow you, and we will run to you in our deepest, darkest hours. I pray this in the sovereign name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need help, look at the the comments, fill out the connection card. We'll see you same time, same place, Lord willing, next Sunday.